today's scripture reading, Psalms chapter 13, verse 5 through 6. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 through 40. One of them, an expert in the law, tested with him this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Yeah, we're on here. There we go. Got to say, I'm not used to seeing her with shoes on up here. <coughs> she always gets nervous and takes her shoes off. <coughs> but I appreciate Missy reading our scripture lesson this morning, and it's good to see everybody here. My name is Ricky Willis, pastor, and so delighted that you've come to worship with us on this day of giving thanks to God. It's Thanksgiving Sunday, <coughs> and uh, we have lots to be thankful for. Um, I hope that you'll also, if you received the uh, welcome this morning, you received the sermon notes, the outline of what we're going to be talking about. You can take that out <coughs> and make notes of things that the Holy Spirit may prompt you to remember. There's also a study guide that we try to give to you each week and that we're in a series where we're asking you to develop the, the habit, the discipline of reading God's Word on a daily basis. And we hope that that helps you to do so. As we prepare for this time in our service, would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Gracious and most loving God, we, we gather here this day reflecting upon the blessings that we have in life. Lord, it's it's been a tough year <clears throat> for many of us. We all raised our hands, most of us, that we've encountered difficult times. It's been a tough time as a nation. And, and yet, in the midst of it all, Lord, we remember how you have walked alongside of us, carried us when we couldn't carry ourselves. You've been with us every step of the way. You love us unconditionally. We are so blessed. So thank you, God, for our blessings in life. And now as we attend to your word, we, we seek your word to us instruction, meaning for our lives, that we might experience life as you created us and intend us to live. So bless us now with hearing, <clears throat> opening our ears and our minds and our hearts to receiving your word. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks, we have been involved in a series of sermons where we've been talking about the good life. Because everybody wants to experience the good life, right? I mean, nobody ever says, I want a mediocre life, or I want a bad life. Uh, we all want to experience the good life. And the Bible teaches us a lot about how we can experience the good life. Um, so in this series, I've been trying to give you what I call six keys that are from Scripture that instruct us how we are to experience, how we can experience the good life. Each week, <clears throat> we've begun by giving what we call a counterfeit path to the good life. Uh, these are paths that, that seem like they ought to lead to the good life. And culture surely tries to tell us that this is how you experience a good life. But they don't. Because they're counterfeit pathways to the good life. The first week we talked about how pleasure was one of those counterfeit pathways to the good life. Uh, the idea that if you could just maximize your pleasure in life and minimize your suffering and pain in life, then you would experience the good life. But what we learned is that 
that's often like uh, trying to eat a dozen chocolate chip cookies, you know. Uh, if you make your aim just trying to, to have claiming more and more good things in your life and uh, more uh, pleasure in your life, more stuff in your life, it's, it's like sitting down eating this mound of cookies. Uh, the more you eat, the less good they taste o- over time. And so what we end up with is a dull, boring life instead of the good life. We learn from the writer of Ecclesiastes how he actually tried to follow this path toward the good life. And uh, he, uh, he said that you know, his, his life was filled with every possible pleasure, every possible material possession you can imagine. He refrained from nothing that his heart desired. Yet when he got to the end of his life, he said, it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then we went on to talk about two keys for how you can actually experience the good life. The first key is being grateful for what you have in life. Now, this is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. It is to focus on what you actually have in life instead of trying to focus on what you don't have. And so that's a key to happiness. The second key is pursuing a purpose that is bigger than yourself. Scripture and all the philosophical writers uh, teach us that if we will focus on being grateful for the things we do have, if we'll focus on trying to pursue a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, then we will be happier people. Last week, we uh, talked about the common assumption that if we just had enough money, then we could experience a good life. If I could just accumulate more wealth, if I could put aside more money for my retirement, then I would experience the good life. But we learned that even the Beatles realized that money can't buy love. Uh, There are some things, things that are the most important to us, the things we most desire in life, that money is just not a key to. So then we looked at um, how Americans, uh, over the last many years, have actually, you know, people who have tried to live this way of of trying to get more money, uh, we looked at how uh, that that didn't pan out. What we found is that even though our standard of living is higher over the last 50 years, it's gotten bigger, 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 that we're less happy and we're much more stressed. And so uh, no matter how much money we have, it does not bring us the, the security, the fulfillment, the satisfaction that we think it's going to do. It doesn't bring us the good life. So we then talked about a couple of more keys that actually do bring us the good life. The third of these keys is to live below your means. When you live below your means, you, you create margin. And when you create margin, you're able to be less stressed. You find peace. Uh, it allows you to save. It allows you to plan or to deal with some of those unexpected uh, events that happen in life. It allows you to give. Margin allows you to pursue those important things in life. And so living below your means is actually one of these keys toward having a good life. And then the fourth key is something that Jesus teaches us, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we know this. This is so self-evident. I asked you the question last week, uh, what do you find more joy from on Christmas morning? Opening the gifts that people give to you or watching others open gifts that you've given to them? And we all know the answer to that. We find much greater joy in uh, giving than in receiving. So the keys to experiencing the good life are found in being generous toward others and contributing to causes that are important to you and to God. And these are ways that we can actually experience more of the good life. Well, today we want to focus on the subject of success. Now, when it comes to success, we often think that being successful is synonymous with the good life. I mean, they seem to go hand in hand. Of course, culture would have us to believe so. There are literally a billion websites out there dealing with this subject of how we 
can uh, be more successful in life. There are thousands of books that have been written on this subject about how to experience success in life. But what I want us to focus on this morning is what is the connection between success and having the good life? What do we really mean by being successful in life? In an article in Entrepreneur Magazine written by Sarah Vermont, (coughs) she says, at the height of my success, I was actually pretty miserable. I'm not saying that there is an inverse relationship between success and happiness, just that there's not necessarily a positive one. They are two very different things. Achieving success is not the same as achieving happiness. And we all know this to be true. I mean, you all know of people that were wildly successful in their lives, and yet they weren't very happy people. I can think of some of these people. Um, One of them, for instance, is this guy. I think we all know who this is. This is Michael Jackson, of course. Uh, He still holds the record for selling uh, the greatest number of a single album, 68 million copies of his album Thriller Sales. I mean, when you look at Michael Jackson, uh, he had everything that you would believe was possible for success. I mean, he had everything he could possibly want, it seems, and yet when you look at his life and you watch it, you see this poor, tortured soul who was constantly looking for something that he never found. Now, some of you are old enough to recognize this next person. <coughs> That's uh, Howard Hughes. Remember him? Uh, at the time, he was believed to be the most, the richest man on the planet. Uh, he owned film studios. He had airplane uh, manufacturing places and businesses, many other ventures he had. He, he was everything that you would associate with being successful in life. And yet, at the end of his life, he was held up in a hotel room using mason jars to go to the bathroom. He was utterly broken and unhappy as a human being. Some of you younger people may remember this person. This is Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse uh, won five Grammys for her second album. Yet at the age of 29 years old, she overdosed and died. She was tremendous, wildly successful as an artist. And yet that success did not bring happiness to her life. And of course, all of you, I think, remember this one. This is this one. <coughs> Anybody else? Okay. Marilyn Monroe, right? <coughs> Marilyn Monroe. Uh, she was a success in every measure. She was successful financially. She was successful in her career. Uh, every man in America wanted to be with her. Every woman wanted to be like her. Um, success, uh, she, she just seemed to elude that. And yet, we all know that, again, she was a poor, tortured soul who died way too young. So success and the good life are not the same thing. And when it comes to experiencing the good life, success as we often think of it actually does not bring us happiness, fulfillment, security, the good life. It just doesn't. It's a counterfeit pathway to life. So this morning I want to talk about two of what I would call the last two keys in our our list of six for ways that the scripture teaches us we can actually experience good life. The fifth key is investing in people and in relationships. The Bible and all the philosophical writers of history concur on this point, that the good life is experienced in our relationships with others who are close to us and with other human beings. Every year since 2012, the United Nations has conducted a worldwide survey what they call the Happiness uh, Report. 
<coughs> and they surveyed uh, around 50 different countries, uh, thousands of people over 50 different countries, and they're seeking to find what are the factors that contribute to people being happy. And in the year 2013, it was quite interesting, um, of the um, 50 countries surveyed, where do you think America fell in that list of 50? Well, we were number one when it came to income, wealth, and many of the other factors that we often associate with being successful and being happy. But what was interesting, in 2013, we ranked number 33 out of the 50. We were one step below Vietnam when it comes to being happy. Well, we've bumped up a few rungs since then, <clears throat> but we're still nowhere near the top. What was interesting is this report in 2016 says this. It says, eudaimonia. If you were here with us a few weeks ago, I introduced you to that word in our first uh, sermon of this series. Eudaimonia is a philosophical word for the good life. It is, uh, means a life well lived, tranquility, wholeness, happiness. It's the goal that we seek in life. Eudaimonia. This report says eudaimonia focuses on living in accord with what is intrinsically worthwhile. Purpose. Meaningful relationships. Good health. And contribution to the community. That's interesting. <clears throat> so the, uh, this survey that by the United Nations seems to agree with what we've been talking about here in this series of the things that lead to the good life. Later in this study it says, <clears throat> studies tend to confirm that of the determinants of happiness, Relatedness, that's a relationship with one another, is nearly always near the top of the list. Quite simply, social engagement <coughs> makes people happy. <laughs> Interesting. Now, as we think about this, we recognize that most of us, we go to school, we graduate from high school, we go off to college, or we pursue our career, whatever it is, and we're, we're driven by some uh, inward uh, drive for success. We just, we're just driven inwardly with uh, a drive for success. Now, this used to be more so for men than women, but now it's equally true of women that we, we create these, these goals in life and we work toward those goals and we keep raising the bar, we keep raising the goals and trying to, uh, to work. We're inwardly driven to succeed. And we think that that's going to bring us happiness and the good life. <clears throat> Yet with this report and all the other reports dealing with human happiness tell us is that the good life is not experienced and trying to achieve some arbitrary goal of success in life, it's actually right under our noses. The good life is found in the relationships we have with our children, with our spouses, with our parents, our siblings, and our closest friends. <clears throat> we often miss that because we're so busy trying, chasing after something else that we think is going to bring us the good life. There are actually some people who have figured this out, I think. <clears throat> the guy that just looked at the screen next, that's Drew Holiday. He's a point guard for NBA um, uh, New Orleans Pelicans. And uh, he's a really good basketball player. He averages 16.8 points a game. <clears throat> and uh, there are a lot of teams out there who would love to have him on their team. Uh, and this guy has his, his future just wide open for him. He's married to a soccer player who a couple of months ago discovered that she has a brain tumor. And this guy that's got his career just I mean, the door's wide open to him. Everybody would love to have him. His future is bright. He calls up his management one day and says, guys, I hate to tell you, but I've got to quit. My wife is sick. And she's more important to me than all of this. So I'm resigning today, and um, I'm going to take care of my wife. Of course, his management said, whoa, whoa, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you don't have to quit. Uh, we'll put you on a leave of absence. If it gets better, you can 
can come back. Um, I said, okay, but you need to understand what is most important in my life is taking care of my wife. <clears throat> now, not every one of us would quit our job to take care of our spouse. Uh, he was fortunate that he was in a place to be able to do that. But I still think he's, he serves as a model for us. That maybe we need to reprioritize our lives. We need to think about what is really most important. What, what really matters in our lives. The truth is, what brings us the good life is the relationship we have with one another. Wall Street <clears throat> was a little shocked a couple of um, few weeks ago because of CEO of Visa, um, Charlie Scharf, he um, up and resigned at the pinnacle of success for Visa. I mean, he was CEO there for four years, and during his tenure, Visa stock went up 134%. <laughs> and his future was just <laughs> wide open in front of him. His security. And everybody asked the question, why in the world would you quit? He said, well, my family, my wife, and my children live on the East Coast. My office is on the West Coast. And I want to make sure I spend time with my family. Have you ever struggled with that? I know I have. For many, many years, <clears throat> I really struggled with um, being driven to try to make each church that I serve successful in its ministry. And often that meant, you know, attending church meetings four nights a week on Sundays and weekends, mostly taking up the church activities. And I never thought of myself as being uh, driven uh, for success personally. It, it kind of gets fuzzy when you're working for the Lord. <clears throat> but um, I did miss out on a lot of important things in my family growing up. Uh, my wife used to refer to the church as the other mystery. And um, I, I'm trying to do a better job at finding that healthy balance there, but it's hard with all the expectations and, of myself and others. I think that's something most of us can relate to because we often find ourselves so driven to succeed, uh, sometimes missing out on what's most important in life. And that's not just applicable just to our family. I think it's also applicable to our, um, our friends, friendships. I mean, how often do we neglect our friendships how often we fail to, to take time to spend with others? I think this becomes particularly important <clears throat> during that stage of life when our children kind of graduate, they go off to college or wherever they're going to go, they leave the home, and you're left in that stage of being called an empty nester. And that can be a, a pretty depressing time of life <laughs> if you don't have that network of friends that you can share life with. Listen, friendship doesn't just happen. We have to take the initiative to cultivate those relationships. And that's why uh, we encourage those of you who are part of the church to get involved in Sunday school classes and other groups that we have here in the church so that you can connect with those meaningful relationships and you can grow in your faith with others. <clears throat> so the good life is found in those relationships we have with other people, especially those closest to us, family and friends. But I think it also has to do with how we live our lives in the greater community, the world that we live in. It, it, uh, being a part of the greater community and seeking the common good of other people, that can actually be a great driver of happiness for ourselves. God said to Abraham, I am going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. Right? So God created us. God calls us to, to find meaning in life by blessing other people. It is to care about other human beings. It is to invest in others. It is to work for the common good. That's the true measure of success. 
Dr. Martin Luther King once said this about success. He says, we are prone to judge success by the index of our salaries and the size of our automobiles rather than the quality of our service and relationship to mankind. In other words, <clears throat> success is not about how big a house you got, how big a car you got, or it's not how much money you make. It's found in the quality of your service and those relationships we have with others. Albert Einstein said something very similar. He said, try not to become a man of success, but rather become a man of value. And the most successful man that ever lived, on the night before he died, he turned to his disciples and he said, if you want to be great in this world, then you must become a servant of others. And the next day, he laid down his life for all of humanity to save us and redeem us. Throughout Scripture, when it comes to living the good life, Scripture is continually crying out to us, shouting it out. It's found in the relationships we have with other people. Micah says, what does the Lord require of you? And the answer is to do justice, do justice, to practice kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Or as Jesus says, we are called to love one another, to bless one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to do unto one another. Uh, for this is how we are to live as Christians. We find meaning in life. It's found in our relationships where we are seeking to serve others. So 1 John chapter 13 of our scripture lesson this morning says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. In other words, we experience life when we're seeking to love and to bless one another. And I think this is the point that I want you to take home with you from this part of the sermon. Is that the good life is experienced when we live a good life toward other human beings. This gives us the greatest joy in life. All right, well, I'm going to move to the, the last key that the Bible teaches us how we might experience the good life. And that is that life is found when we place our trust in God. You know, in the New Testament, there are three different words that are used for the word life. Every time you find the word life in the New Testament, one of these words is used. Uh, one of them is bios, which we get our word biology from. Another word that's used is psyche or, or psyche which we get the word psychology or psychiatry and everything like that from. Um, each one of those means life, but in different ways. But there's a third word named zoe. And zoe is this, we get our word zoology from. <clears throat> and uh, it too means life. But this is the word, zoe is the word that's used most frequently in the New Testament. 275 times this word is used when it refers to life. If you were to go to a Greek dictionary and <clears throat> look up, you know, what did this word zoe mean? during the New Testament time for the church, this is what you find. Zoe means the absolute fullness of life, or life real and genuine. In other words, the good life that we've been talking about. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the Zoe, the life. I'm the way and the truth and the good life, the life you've been longing for. John tells us, in him was Zoe, and the Zoe was the light of all people. Jesus said, I am come that you might have Zoe, life, and have it abundantly. The New Testament refers to Jesus as the author of Zoe, the author of life, the source of life, the giver of life. When you get to the end of John's Gospel, and <clears throat> we read these words, these are things written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have 
grow it. You have life in his name. So if we really want to experience a good life, this is where we find it. The New Testament makes it clear to us over and over again. It is found when we trust in God through Jesus Christ. It is found in our relationship with God. This is where it all begins. This is where it all ends. And what we need to realize is that we can experience this kind of good life that the Bible talks about regardless of what circumstances you find yourself in. You can experience this kind of good life in the midst of poverty. You can experience this kind of good life when the foundations of your life seem to be falling apart, when the doctor comes to you and says, the news is not good. When you're facing the death of a loved one, when your spouse leaves you and you're left all alone, even in those moments of intense darkness, we can experience the good life as long as we're trusting in God through Jesus Christ. In the passage we have from us from Psalms today, it says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And you say, well, it's easy for him to say. Obviously, God's been good to him. Uh, yeah, he can sing praises to God. Everything's going along fine. But if you read these words in the context, <clears throat> you find that this is the end of a lament. Uh, these are the words that precede this. It says, the psalmist says, How long will you forget me, Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits, agony filling my heart? Daily? How long will my enemy keep deceiving me? Look at me. Answer me, Lord my God. Restore sight to my eyes. Otherwise I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say, I won. My foes rejoice over my downfall. But, but, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the praises of the Lord, for he has been good to me. You see, with dogged determination, in the midst of whatever we're going through, we choose to trust, we choose to hold on to our trust in God, that God is walking with us so that somehow we are going to experience that peace that passes understanding. We are not afraid, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We live with the assurance that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we find in Christ Jesus. So even in the midst of adversity, we are able to experience the good life as long as we're trusting in God. The Apostle Paul said it this way, We are experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we are not crushed. We are confused, but we are not depressed. We are harassed, but we are not abandoned. We are knocked down, but we are not knocked out. <laughs> Love that translation. Because he says in verse 18, we do not focus on things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. Thus, we have hope. Every time I go on a mission trip <clears throat> to a third world country, I'm always reminded of these truths we've been talking about. I've been to Bolivia, Ecuador, Mexico, many others uh, several times, and every time I take people with me, they all say the same thing. They're just amazed by how happy these people are that we're in mission to. And they have nothing. They have none of the comforts, the luxuries that we have, and yet they seem to experience the good life. They seem to be happy in the midst of their poverty. How is that so? I think it's because most often they're focused on what they have. They're grateful for what they have instead of focusing on what they don't have. Uh, they're truly living <laughs> below their means <laughs> in life. 
And, um, you know, they, they place the greatest importance on relationships. The task, the job they, they get done, that's all secondary to the relationship they have. Most everything they do is in the context of community instead of it being in isolation as we do as Americans. They trust in God for their daily bread. And so even in the midst of their poverty, they experience something that many of us as Americans over don't see and don't, we miss it. They experience a good life because they focus on those things. I remember watching the journey of a young woman <coughs> who was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age. And um, I was just amazed at how she faced that journey, part of her journey in life. And she just was an inspiration to everybody who knew her. Her daily posts on the Internet <coughs> were encouraging to everybody. You'd, you'd go to visit her at the house, and you'd hear her in the bedroom with the radio turned up on Christian radio, and she'd be singing and praising God to the songs on the radio. And when she was in the hospital, she sought to be a blessing to every nurse, every person that came in there, every patient that she came in contact with. She made recordings and um, wrote uh, little letters to all of her children, her family, and her friends to read after her death. <clears throat> um, letters that of encouragement to take hold of the life that really is yours. In her final moments of life, she was at her, in her home, in her bedroom, and she was surrounded by close friends and her family. And that scene, instead of being a, a time of mourning and crying, a very sad scene, it was actually inspiring. And they, they were reading her favorite scriptures to her. They were singing <clears throat> some of the praise songs and hymns that she loved. Um, and they told stories, fond memories of the times they had been together. Laughter was in the room. And that experience of being surrounded by those that she loved the most, all trusting in God in the midst of that moment, to me that was a vivid display of one who lived their life successfully. What about you? Are you living a life of success? I hope that you learn truths that it has nothing to do with how much money we can create. It has nothing to do with how much pleasure we can take into our lives or, you know, what level that you achieve in the company. That's not worth that. Everything about the good life and success. It is found in how you love the people that are put in your path of life. It's discovered in how you make this world a better place by investing in the lives of others and how you trust your life to God's unfailing love. This is why when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, it is to love, to trust God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a good life. It's found in our relationships and in our love and trust of God. In that spirit, I want to invite you to pray with me. <clears throat> God, on this day, we are so thankful for our lives. Without you, we realize we would we'd not be here. We'd have nothing. You, you give us the air that we breathe. You create all that exists that sustains our life. You formed us in our mother's womb. You, you walk with us every day. You stand with us when we go through hard times. You fill our heart with peace and joy when otherwise we could be afraid. You sent Jesus Christ to show us the way and the, the truth and, and the life and to suffer and die for us so that we might have life. Your Holy Spirit dwells within us. 
You've given us your church. Everything we are and have, God, comes ultimately from you. So how grateful we are for you. Lord, help us to remember what really matters in this life. Help us to be grateful for what we have. Help us to find purpose that you have for us and try to live into that purpose. Help us to live beneath our means, creating margin. Help us to remember that there, it's always more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to take seriously the relationships we have with our family and our friends and to invest in them. Maybe be used by you, O oh God, to make this world a better place by investing others in finances. Help us, God, to trust in you, loving you with all that is within us, so that we take hold of a life that really is life. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.